afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is the program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. Well, in short, well, the program's designed for someone like me because there's a lot I don't understand. Not necessarily something soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been bothering me for a while. I find that rather than getting into a deep theological discussion, sometimes a casual front porch style talk with the pastor is the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Kirk Clayton of Zion Lutheran Church in Muscoota, Illinois. I have my questions. I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions by email at any time to letstalk at kfuo.org. Or you can call in during the program if you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East. It's 314-8210-850. Anywhere else in the lower 48, you can call in toll-free at 1-800-730-2727. Pastor Clayton, welcome. Hey, great to be with you again today. Well, not only am I welcoming you here to the front porch, I am welcoming you to Friday the 13th. Not just Friday the 13th, but Friday the 13th in the year 2020. That can't bode good news. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) that brings to mind (laughs) superstitions. Why is the number 13 considered so unlucky? I mean, go to a a multi-story building and you'll find that there is no 13th floor on them. You know, actually, I have never really looked into why uh, 13 in its origin is considered unlucky. Have, do, you, do you know the background on that, actually, as to why 13 is not considered to be a lucky number? Well, I've actually read several different versions of it. Uh, one version is that there were actually 13 people at the Last Supper. And, of course, the 13th was Judas, who went away to betray Jesus. Okay. And that's one thing I've heard. Uh I'm sure there are some other other things about that, but you know this. this Another is... one that uh, that pops to my mind. I, I have not done any research on this. I'm just totally guessing. But um, if we look at a little bit different number in in the Bible, seven is considered to be a holy number, and so you drop under seven, and then that's considered to be unholy. So, for example. Uh, This is one speculation for what 666 means in Revelation, that God is triune, and so a triple perfection would be 777. And so if you take one away from each of those, you have something that's a close imitation, but not. And so 666 is an imperfect trinity. And so that's that's one speculation as to where the the number six 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 comes from in Revelation. Uh, again, there there are many many ideas and theories. This is just one of them. So the same thing was running through my mind as a possibility. And again, I I have not researched this. I'm just guessing off the top of my head that perhaps thirteen is one lower than seven plus seven fourteen. And so whereas 14 as a multiple of 7 would be seen as good, you drop one less than that, and you have 13, which then would be considered not good or unholy or unlucky. But um, I'm just totally speculating there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, also, you know, there's supposedly there's 13 steps to the gallows. I don't know if that's true or not. I've never seen gallows. Uh, But that's one theory. I haven't been on one myself. (laughs) You have. I have not. Oh, okay. (laughs) 
Well, you know, you talked about 666, and this this brings back a couple of memories to me. When, uh, I was covering a city council meeting a number of years ago, and uh, a city ordinance was coming up for passage. And I remember the uh, the uh, clerk read the passage and <laughs> read it and said, Ordinance number 666. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the council members immediately jumped up and said, we ought to change this number. <laughs> yeah. that, that reminds me, if I recall correctly, also uh, in the musical Phantom of the Opera, the Andrew Lloyd Webber mm-hmm. musical Phantom of the Opera, uh, of which I'm a big fan, I, I love the musical, I believe Lot 666 is the chandelier in pieces, the very same one which uh, took part in the great catastrophe um, you know, as they're as the show opens, they're doing an auction of all of the belongings of the uh, op- opera populaire, and I believe the chandelier, which brings this entire twisted story to life, is Lot Six Six Six. Now that you mentioned the uh, the, the council reading, I, I think that shows up there as well. <laughs> well, that I didn't know, I, and I've seen the musical. In fact, I saw it over at the Fox Theater uh, several years ago, uh-huh. and I don't remember that Lot Six Six Six. But you know, I was. Um, going over my email the other day and I just happened to glance into my trash and I had 666 messages in my trash. Mm. I immediately cleared my trash. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Funny how uh, numbers pop up here and there. Yeah. And you know, there there are all sorts of things, you know, where where people are superstitious about it. I wonder if there's reasons behind it or what. And even supposedly well-educated, uh, Solid people. I have some have some suspicions, uh, superstitions. I mean, there's a well, you know, the broken mirror. There's the black cat. There's the walking under a um, uh, under a ladder, which actually probably makes sense because it could fall down on you. Uh, but there are all sorts of superstitions out there, and I, I is this part of human nature that uh, we we look to luck and bad luck? Yeah, I think it's part of sinful human nature specifically. The trouble with all these superstitions, and we can laugh at these, we can joke and say, oh, a black cat just crossed my path, ha, 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 I wonder what's going to happen. Uh, but the problem with this is that anytime we look to something in the created world as the thing that will influence the future or alter our course of events in life or in the future takes away from the truth that God alone is in control and God is the one who alone holds the future in his hands. And so as an example of this, I'm thinking back to Oh, probably 35 to 40 years ago uh, when I was growing up, and there were these um, these things called newspapers that were published every day. Yeah, I and, remember uh, them. <laughs> yeah, they, they landed on your front doorstep along about, you know, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the morning, and um, you read them. Now, while, while this in itself is a kind of shocking um, idea to many of our listeners, I'm sure that there was this this uh, this assemblage of 
of large sheets of paper with ink printed on them that showed up every day. Uh, well, that itself might be, uh, you know, a shock. Another shock is that you actually could rely on the contents <laughs> in the newspaper, unlike the absolute pieces of garbage and uh, bird uh, bird paper uh, lining that are put out by certain uh, institutions, largely in uh, larger cities on the East Coast today. Or perhaps in our own city here. It could be, yeah. Um, but, you know, what was in the newspapers back then, which might be even as shocking as the existence of newspapers, <laughs> is that you could actually pretty well rely on what was there. It was thoroughly researched. It was, um, you know, while it's tough to escape any bias, there was at least the attempt at, you know, journalistic ethics and to present uh, the facts or to present both sides of the story. I mean, I, I remember countless news stories that I would read that – uh, you'd, 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 within the news story, you'd have a pro-con format. The the journalist might have had a, a personal preference, but the journalist presented both sides and then left it to the reader to be uh, intelligent and discerning enough to uh, see which of the, the sides had the stronger case in the news argument. Utterly utterly unheard of in, in journalism today. Uh, but uh, actually, I, I didn't bring that up to go down the rabbit hole of uh, journalistic ethics, although I know we both love going down that rabbit hole. Uh, but instead, to point out that in this you know, somewhat reputable newspaper uh, back 35 years or so ago, uh, of course, the first thing I always read was uh, the funny page, right? With, with oh, all me the comics. Too. Me too. Uh, Nowadays, that might be the least biased section of a newspaper, right? Uh, but I remember down in the I believe it was lower right-hand corner of the funny page, every day uh, there was the daily horoscope. Ah. And um, so as I was reading down the funny page, we get down to the bottom and would often glance at the horoscope. And, I mean, it would say such you know, insightful things as a new person will walk into your life today who will change the trajectory of your future. <clears throat> okay, it's, it's tough to prove or disprove that. I mean, if you read fortune cookie, you know, little sheets of paper mm -hmm. inside the fortune cookies, you know how vague and how uh, utterly unprovable most of these things are. But... I would also notice that when I read that, for some time I would start thinking, hmm, is that the person? Hmm, is that the person? Hmm, is that the person? And it, it actually kind of worked on you to wonder, you know, I know this is weird. I know this is, you know, very vague and bland, but what if it happens? What if it happens? You know, and in doing that, I was taking my eyes off of the one who alone does control the future and was, you know, placing my trust or at the very least placing my curiosity in something which is not uh, God's divine control. And so, um, you know, after a period of time, as I started noticing this, that when I would read this horoscope as Silly as it was, I, I mean, it was it was maybe um, you know 
two column inches. I mean, it was it was small. It was like one sentence a day. Um, but yet, when I would read it, you know, I would spend the day wondering, hmm, is that what that means? Hmm, is that what that means? And uh, I knew that in doing that, my eyes were being diverted off of the one God alone uh, to whom that question should be addressed. And so, um, you know, after a period of time, as I recognized that, I stopped reading the horoscope. Now, today, my my version of um, reading the newspaper is, uh, when I'm not too incredibly annoyed, uh, whatever pops up in the home screen of the uh, computer program I open to connect online before I get to email. Uh, and there, I think there is a horoscope on that. Fortunately, it's a little bit further down than I usually scroll, unless I'm really desperate for news. Um, but, you know, the same thing. If I were to read that horoscope, which is embedded in the home screen of various, you know, front page email programs, uh, we could again have our eyes taken off of God and on to superstitions. And so, you know, you, you asked, you talked about walking under ladders and black cats crossing the street and a broken mirror or if salt spills, you throw a pinch of salt over the shoulder, you know, whatever these, these other things are. Um, why do we do that? I think because we have an innate sinful um, tendency to turn away from God and dismiss God's authority over the world and seek that authority anywhere else. Uh, it's nonsensical. I mean, it really makes no sense whatsoever. It's silly. And yet our sinful human natures are so corrupt that we would rather um, trust that which is silly <laughs> over that which is God's loving grace for us. Well, um, I, one pretty widespread and ancient super, uh, superstition is astrology. And I, I've known a number of people who just swear by it. They fervently believe in astrology. And, you know, of course, the Bible makes reference to it. Uh, astrology goes back through uh, pagan religions and all the way, you know, way, way back to the beginning of history. Astrology has been has been uh, touted. You know, your future is in the stars. Uh, gods will reveal themselves to you in the heavens. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, it's interesting that... God himself does choose to use a star to reveal the greatest embodiment of the gospel of all time. He uses a star to point the wise men to the birth of the king born in Judea, namely Jesus himself, God in the flesh, God made in human likeness. And so... It's interesting that God can take that which we can certainly abuse and still use it for his purposes. I mean, the stars are God's creation, and God created them good. Uh, now, we can abuse what God has created as good. In fact, that's what Satan does all the time. We, we sometimes get confused. Satan cannot create. Satan cannot make anything of his own. All that he can do is twist and corrupt what God has already made good. And so God made the stars, 
and at various times, uh, you know, we have references in Scripture to the stars in creation, and God made also the stars. He takes Abraham out and says, look at the stars, number them, count them if you can number them. Your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And so God uses the stars as he rightly can, as his good creation. And in one amazing way, he uses a star to guide the wise men and by extension to guide us to his greatest gospel gift, the birth of his son, Jesus Christ, in Bethlehem in the land of Judea when the fullness of time had come and that star appeared. But to look to the stars not in astronomy, which is a, you know, to look in many ways at the blessings and the beauty that God has created in his wisdom for us, but to look at the stars in astrology, to look to the stars rather than the creator of the stars as the thing that shapes our future and our destiny, that's where we get off track. Well, as you pointed out, you know, the devil cannot create, but he can certainly uh distort i mean it, there's the old saying you know it, the devil quotes scripture mm-hmm. and uh and of course you know scripture is from god it is the ultimate good of the written word but it can be misused as satan does and uh you know i think we see it in our everyday life where people quote scripture to justify some of the most horrendous things you know uh, um, in our own history for example a lot of um, a lot of slave owners would justify slavery on the basis of Scripture. Right, which um, gives the importance of understanding Scripture in its context. Mm. It is a uh, very theologically dangerous practice to take a verse here or a verse there out of context. Uh, Now, an extreme example of this, my dad was a Lutheran pastor. He was the one that taught me confirmation class. And to give just a you know, very uh, bald face example of this that nobody would really do, but it kind of sets the sets the stage for understanding how this does happen. Um, he would say, uh, if you want to, you know, proof test from Scripture, you can say that Jesus said, "Go and sin." Granted, he had two more words at the end of it. He said, "No more." Yeah. <laughs> but if you take Scripture out of context you could have an honest-to-goodness quote from Jesus saying, go and sin. Um, He also said, you know, St. Paul says, I am the chief, you know, therefore saying he is the most important one, he is the one who should be followed. What what Paul says is, I am the chief of sinners. Uh, And so obviously, uh, very, very few people with any credibility whatsoever uh, would would misquote scripture to the point of leaving off, you know, the second half of a sentence, which completely radically changes the meaning, such as Jesus saying, go and sin, as opposed to go and sin no more, or St. Paul saying, I'm the chief, as opposed to saying, I'm the chief of sinners. But many, many people will go just a few words further than that problem, and they will take a verse without looking at the paragraph, or they'll take a, a paragraph without looking at the surrounding context of the rest of the book, or without looking at the overarching 
message of all of Scripture. And so uh, taking just little snippets to try to prove different things is very, very uh, dangerous theologically. And we need to constantly ask, what is the clear, overarching message of Scripture? And then if we find a passage that we want to take and run with for some pet project or some, you know, pet idea of ours, we constantly need to go back and test and ask, does this fit with the overarching message of Scripture? Which, by the way, today's uh, Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. but we're also just, you know, two weeks past Reformation Day, uh, October 31st. And so for Lutherans, what we would say is the overarching message of all of Scripture, from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, is that Scripture is the message of God's love and God's work of salvation on behalf of his fallen, sinful human creatures. Uh, And so from Genesis to Revelation, you have a continuous unfolding of God's grace that despite mankind falling away and rebelling against God time and time again, despite, as we kind of alluded to earlier, every inclination of our hearts being evil only, you know, since childhood, uh, despite the overwhelming sinfulness of humanity, God continues to break into our real human history and work marvelous acts of salvation on behalf of his people, culminating in Jesus Christ in his birth, in his death, in his resurrection. And so if we then have a little snippet of scripture that we want to pull out of context, the question is, is this interpretation that we're deriving from this one little verse or one one little passage, is this consistent with the overarching theme of scripture that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? Is our little interpretation consistent with the arc of the message of salvation that God reveals from Genesis through Revelation? If not, then our little pet interpretation is probably wrong. It needs to be set aside, and that's not what that passage means. Well, you also just mentioned uh, the Reformation, which uh, was, of course, on on October the 31st. Now, I have known some evangelicals who firmly believe that, that that Halloween is satanically inspired. Uh, and I have a good friend who is a Wiccan. Uh, and this is a, a sacred thing for her for this, uh, for this uh, holiday, if you will. Uh, now, that's an example, I think, of a superstition where they, they, take, they take a date and it supposedly has some mystical meaning. It has meaning to us as Lutherans, obviously, because of the Reformation. But they take this as some kind of a... Uh, of a supernatural, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. belief. Yeah, now, I think there are a variety of interpretations on this as well, but one explanation that I, I've heard for the origin of Halloween, in fact, if you look just at the word Halloween, um, it, it seems to derive from Hallow's Eve, All Hallow's Eve, uh, All Hallow's Day, All Saints' Day, is November 1st. Mm -hmm. And so uh, on November 1st, the Church has for centuries remembered with thanksgiving the faithful saints who have gone before us and are now in the presence of the Lord in glory. We remember with thanksgiving their lives of witness that point us to Christ. Uh, But then the medieval superstition was, 
that since we're going to be remembering and giving thanks for the saints on November 1st, uh, and in the medieval ages that included oftentimes what we'd think of as rather grotesque displays of relics, where even in Wittenberg, the church, the castle church, was filled with, you know, this saint's, uh, you know, left incisor tooth and a toe bone from this saint, and some of the blood shed when, you know, this martyr was ripped apart by lions in the Colosseum. And, you know, uh, we would find this to be, you know, kind of disgusting but in the medieval era this is kind of how they venerated the saints with you know little chunks of their bodies mm-hmm. <laughs> spread throughout the church um, but that took place on november 1st and so the superstition as i understand it again i haven't spent huge amounts of time <laughs> researching this but my understanding <laughs> is that with the church venerating all these relics on november 1st and all these little teeth and bones and, you know, blood and all this showing up in in different spots of veneration, that the spirits of the saints then would come up out of the ground to kind of join in the celebration. Now, that's, of course, superstition. Um, The the souls of the departed are with the Lord or with not the Lord, um, and they remain there. Uh, they do not come back. Uh, the spirits of the departed do not join us again. But the superstition was that since on November 1st they were being remembered, on October 31st they decided, hey, let's show back up and all kind of gather around to you know, be there when people remember us. And so then this idea of ghosts and ghouls and things coming up out of the ground and so on on October 31st is tied to the commemoration of all saints, which takes place in the church on November 1st. And so uh, All Hallows' Eve, as I understand, uh, kind of became, uh, you know, shortened and uh, mispronounced into Halloween uh, because of this idea of the the ghosts of the departed saints coming back to hang around for All Saints Day on November 1st. Obviously, uh, very um, superstitious, uh, even from our standpoint, you might say silly. Um, theologically misguided, but that's one thing as I've understood as to how that came to uh, be observed that way in the first place. Well, I know some people who believe that that's the day when uh, that the uh, the window between this world and the next is is narrow is is very close, and that's that's when bad things can happen. Well, we need to discuss this more after the break, and uh, oh, we got a lot to talk about. I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at Chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio. 
This has been quite a year, a lot of uncertainty. But there is one thing you can count on if you're a member of the Concordia Plans. Your benefits through the Concordia Plans are always with you to help keep you physically, emotionally, and financially healthy. Protect yourself and your family by signing up for your health care benefits, along with additional insurance and saving for retirement. Choose your 2021 benefits November 2nd through the 20th at concordiaplans.org slash myaccount. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Cross Defense is the show where we talk about curious topics to excite the imagination, equip the mind, and comfort the soul with God's Word. Join me, Pastor Tyrell Bramwell, every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or even your favorite podcast app. My friends, our foe is a fierce enemy. Our only defense is Christ on the cross. I grew up in Montana, the big sky state, and from a mountaintop on a clear day there, it feels like you can see forever. Hi, I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you thrive with purpose. There is something so beautiful about a clear day when you can see for miles and miles. Do you ever have those moments with your finances? It may seem impossible, but when you have financial clarity, you can actually prepare well ahead into the future. So what does being clear about money really mean? Well, for starters, you need to know what matters most to you and your family. And you need to know the financial resources necessary to support your goals so you can purposefully live the life God has for you. For example, what does retirement look like to you? Will you travel? Will you volunteer? Maybe you'll downsize. Thinking about these questions now will help you figure out how much to save each month towards retirement. So take some time to get clarity about your finances. You'll be more confident for the future and find more gratitude and meaning in your life. Welcome back. Let's talk. Pastor is in. I'm online right now with uh, Pastor Kirk, uh, Kirk Clayton from Zion Lutheran Church in Muscoota, Illinois, and we're talking about superstitions. Uh, you mentioned about the uh, Catholic Church in the Middle Ages, for example, would display the relics, and this is brought to mind uh, a memory of mine. I, I used to live in New York City. And uh, I had an apartment at 190th and Fort Washington, which is very northern end of Manhattan. And uh, just about a block away was this Catholic church, and where they actually displayed the body of uh, St. Francis Xavier Cabrini. Hmm. <laughs> Regularly or as a, yeah, a visiting I mean, the body's, Yeah, yeah, the body's yeah. in a glass, uh, in a glass display. You know, while we find that to be kind of shocking, there is something that we can relate to about that. Uh, this is not all that uncommon, by the way, in um, various European... Oh, it's, it's uncommon in the United States, but, but in, <laughs> in ancient European cathedrals, uh, it's not uncommon that uh, they will have you know, kind of this glass coffin with the body of their patron saint or something uh, displayed in the, in the church. 
and there's there's actually something somewhat commendable to that. I'm not saying that we should practice it, but here is the the understanding I think that underlies that. We are bodies. God has created us with a body and God has given us this body for good. Our body is a blessing. Now the the challenge is this technically speaking this goes back to you know even the days of the New Testament there was this idea called gnosticism and gnosticism says that the body and the created world the fleshly stuff of the world is evil and what God really is interested in is the spirit and so the ultimate goal at death is that the spirit which is good, pops free from all of this corrupted, fleshly, earthly stuff, the body, which is evil. And so Gnosticism says what happens to the body doesn't matter. The body is evil. The body is wicked. Uh, What really is important is that your spirit is pure and that your spirit is sprung free from this wicked body at death. Now, the church understands that God in the beginning created Adam and Eve out of the dust of the ground, or in Eve's case, out of the rib from Adam's side, which had been created out of the dust of the ground. And he gave them bodies, and they were good. And that at the last day, God will raise us in our bodies, which will be good. Jesus Christ himself was raised on Easter morning in his body. Uh, We see in the resurrection appearances that when Jesus appears to Thomas, he says, touch me and see Jesus' physical body was living again. His heart was beating again. Blood was circulating through his veins again after the resurrection. He said, do you have something to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it. Uh, He had a physical body in the resurrection. And we also will have physical bodies in the resurrection. And so while we find it to be strange or odd or gross, uh, this idea, which in especially in the Middle Ages in the Roman Catholic Church was more prevalent, of actually preserving and displaying the bodies of uh, various departed saints whether it's corrupted or not, it actually grows out of this respect for the body, that God did not just make us souls. God did not just make us disembodied spirits, that our our eternal hope is simply to float around on the clouds as a freed spirit. God made our bodies as a gift for us, and God will at the last day raise us in our bodies as the ultimate gift, as our spirit is then reunited with our body, which then will have been perfected with no more disease, no more illness, no more aches, no more pains, but that the body is good, and we respect the body. And so this is why Christians have traditionally cared for the body of a loved one who has died 
and buried the body in the ground awaiting the resurrection and so this is what led then also to what you're referencing that you know the body of the saint is visibly on display at this church in uh, upper manhattan and i believe another example i believe saint ambrose's body is on display in the cathedral at milan and various other saints you can actually go see and uh, oftentimes they're like wearing gloves to to try to counteract the the work of of um of decay and so on and they're they're clothed but oftentimes you can actually see the the physical remains of the body because we respect that god made that body as good and he will raise that body glorified and purified but he will raise that physical body on the last day as his gift of the resurrection the display of the body though uh it strikes me almost as idolatry uh the idea being that you know god has created our body and it's perfect good well <laughs> okay i'm overweight and what have you but uh I, yeah, you know what i mean you won't say it's perfect yet but we'll say it's good <laughs> but after the after after death after the spirit leaves the body corrupts and the attempt to preserve the body and then display it that strikes me, as I say, almost almost like idolatry. Uh, it's 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 not letting the body do what it should be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there's certainly always the temptation, as we talked about before. Any idea which is good and noble uh, in God's use can be corrupted under Satan's influence to something which is is misused, and so. It's absolutely true that God created our bodies as a blessing and a gift for us, and that our bodies are not something to be, um, you know, randomly, easily discarded um, so that we can simply be free spirits. But, you know, if we then um, use that body, again, as a form of idolatry that takes our mind off of the creator and puts it on the created, then, of course, yes, we do have a problem. Um, and so, and, and there are certain instances in the, uh, the Roman Catholic Church where that line is crossed, uh, where the saints are not just seen as uh, for giving thanks for them, but, you know, actually interceding through them in a way that we should uh, intercede only to God. But um, so any good idea or any good gift from God can be abused and corrupted. Uh, And so there certainly could be the problem of idolatry, as you've identified. But deep down at its root, there's there's also an interesting truth that we, we sometimes are uncomfortable with, but it needs to be stressed that our bodies are a blessing and a gift from God, uh, and we do treasure that. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that is the strongest argument, I think, against uh, suicide is, you know, it's not your body, it's God's gifts. Right. And And you have no right, no right to take it away. And that also, much of what we've talked about today is turning our trust away from God, who holds the future in his hands. And in suicide, what we're saying is, I don't think that God can work out a good and positive future for me. Uh, That is kind of the essence of utter hopelessness. And then to say, um, since I don't think my future will be tolerable, 
uh, I'm going to put an end to my future now, um, which sadly ultimately then seems to be a denial of what God can do in our future and taking the future into our hands. You know, we've talked about superstition of putting the future in the hands of the horoscope or the stars, things like that. That would be putting the future in our own hands rather than leaving it in God's hands. Well, when you speak to an unbeliever, the unbeliever will often say, well, you believers, this is nothing more than a superstition. You're believing in some some." mythical spirit in the sky or believing in, in the dead rising. It's all just a superstition. How do we respond to them? Well, there are, um, I, I would say there's a difference between a superstition and saying that um, everything at all times in all places always follows within what we as human beings have observed as the regular laws of nature. Uh, and so, uh, do miracles take place? Can miracles take place? Uh, a, a naturalistic atheist would say, no. Anything that uh, exists outside the uh, observable realm of uh of science is impossible. Well, well, the problem is there seems to be really, really good historical evidence that this has happened. Yes. <laughs> uh, now, so there's a difference between the Christian faith, which says that God can and has worked supernaturally using miracles outside the usual laws of nature. That's one thing. As opposed to saying, you know, I think that a few words on a page in a horoscope can change my future, or that if I see a certain omen in the stars, or if my palm has a certain line on it, that my future is going to go a certain direction. Um, the, the difference I would make is I think superstitions are simply unfounded speculation as opposed to the Christian faith, which does hold to the miraculous working of God in human history is in fact founded on fact. And so, um, what facts could I find to back up, for example, if I'm looking at my palm and a certain thing says I have a long lifeline, what's the correlation, what's the evidence that I can have to support that? As opposed to in Christianity, uh, let's go to absolutely the most central claim of Christianity, Jesus Christ, who was absolutely dead, no brain waves, no heart beating, no blood circulation, no oxygen, on Friday afternoon was completely physically alive again on Easter Sunday morning. Uh, that is a, a claim of a miracle, a miracle of the most astonishing nature. Is it simply superstition? No. Uh, there are very uh, solid points of evidence that you can look at and say, this may be an unusual claim. This may be a claim to that which is miraculous, but it also is supported by evidence and is true. Here is the, the number one thing I turn to. Uh, the tomb on Easter morning was empty. Uh, and I can say that with virtually 100% absolute historical fact. Here's why. The chief priests wanted nothing more than Jesus to be and remain dead. 
if they could have found the body of Jesus, they would have. There are any number of people that claim to be the Messiah. They were put to death, and their um, story vanished immediately. A dead body kind of gives the lie to everything that Jesus claims. So if the chief priests could have found the body, they would have, and we would have never have heard of Jesus Christ now 2,000 years later. It would have been done. It would have been over. They could not find the body of Jesus Christ. And so that indicates that they also knew where the tomb was because they set a guard there. So they knew where the tomb was. They had the, uh, they had the, what are the, uh, the, the legal terms? They had the motive and they had the means to uh, produce Jesus' dead body if Jesus' body were still dead and in the tomb. They couldn't. Therefore, Jesus' body was not in the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. That is pretty well a demonstrable fact of history. Then you need to ask why. Did the disciples steal the body? That is virtually impossible based on just the uh, the noise that it would have taken alone. So you can go through all these different excuses as to why the tomb was empty, because we know, we absolutely know the tomb was empty. And then the most logical explanation is because Jesus actually rose from the dead. He was then seen by up to 500 witnesses at a time. And so the evidence actually points to the reality of Jesus' resurrection. That, I think, is the difference between Christianity and a superstition. A superstition does not have the weight of evidence on its side. Christianity, as extraordinary as the claims are that Christianity makes, has the weight of evidence on its side. And that, I think, is what separates the Christian claims of miracles from that which is merely superstitious. And I think, and you alluded to this a little earlier, that there have been examples of, uh, for want of a better word, miracles in modern times where things have happened that simply cannot be explained by science. Right. And I, I can't necessarily, you know, give all the details of any off the top of my head. Oh, I can give you one. Than... Okay. Um, I had a friend in college. Um, guy was diagnosed with colon cancer. Went in for surgery. Cancer's gone. Mm-hmm. Now, whether it was a miracle, whether it was a mixed diagnosis, or I don't know how they could have done it, I don't know. But I do know this guy... <laughs> he, he he swore up and down he had colon cancer. Yeah. The doctor swore up and down he had colon cancer. Yet when he goes in for surgery, no trace of it. Yeah. And, you know, actually, another one from uh, my own personal experience, my third son, Nathaniel, when he was born, was very sick. And we had to transport him from the small hospital where he was born to... A, uh, a larger hospital with a neonatal intensive care unit. And so he was born about 8 o'clock in the morning, and about uh, 5 o'clock that night, the medical staff at the small hospital says, we need to get him to the NICU in the next uh, larger town over. And um, I said, you are not putting my child in the back of an ambulance and you know screaming him down the road, separated from his parents, without him being baptized. Um, and so we had a uh, private baptism in the hospital room, uh, and then you know Nathaniel was put into the the little you know uh, ambulance uh, cradle thing and strapped in and zipped down the the road to the next larger town over. 
I, uh, you know, frantically packed an overnight bag and, and followed as quickly as I could. And when I got to the neonatal intensive care unit at the next town over, um, walked in and uh, Nathaniel was fine. He was completely and totally healed. The, there, were, there was just a visible difference. He was not responsive before. Uh, you put your hand in his, you know, you put your finger in a baby's hand and it grasps it by reflex. He wasn't doing that. Um, he was not responding to various stimulation. Uh, the nurse noticed she did one of the tests where you know you poke the baby to draw a little blood. He didn't scream or whimper. He just he didn't respond. Um, and I remember I walked into the neonatal intensive care unit, and just as you know, a parent instinctively kind of put out your little pinky finger, put it in his hand, and immediately he clamped down on it, um, which he had not done before he was baptized. Um, and so, and and the the doctors and nurses says they they didn't say miracle, but said we don't know why he's better, but he's better. Um, now. In our skeptical modern minds, we can dismiss that and say, oh, you know, just he had a little bug that his body worked off or something. Um, and that might be. That might be the cause that God used. But as we take a step back, what we also say is we thank God that he worked this. We don't know how. Uh, we don't know perhaps the method that he used to accomplish this, but he did accomplish this. Well, I think... <laughs> If you talk to, to to doctors, to physicians, healthcare workers, I think m many of them will say that they have seen things in their practice that they simply cannot explain medically, things that had happened that had no reason to happen. You know, like, right. Like you, you just pointed out, for example, with your son. I know I've spoken to some who have said that, too, that this person was supposed to be dead. They're not. You know, This person yeah. was supposed to be diseased. They're not. I don't know what did it because I didn't do it, you know. <laughs> well, in fact, come to think of it, uh, we have a prayer chain in our congregation, and members can submit prayers from friends and so on. And within the last week, there was a gentleman that submitted a prayer request for uh, a friend's granddaughter who had been diagnosed with leukemia. Mm. She went in for subsequent tests, and there is no leukemia. Wow. Now, was it a false test the first time? Maybe. Or was it a valid test the first time, and through the intercession of God's people, uh, God brought healing to this young girl uh, from one test to the next? That also can't be ruled out. We, we simply credit that in one way or another, God worked his tremendous blessing this young girl's life. Well, I can look back on my own life, and uh, I can think of several occasions where I should have been killed. I should have died. And uh, I, I'm not saying that there was some kind of a miraculous intercession here, but but for some reason I, I wasn't killed. I, I didn't die. Uh, and, you know, there's always the, the belief, you know, God had something planned for me. I don't know what it is. Maybe this is it. Maybe it's something in the future. Maybe it's something I will never know. Mm -hmm. But I didn't fulfill what was in his plan. And so for whatever reason, I was spared these moments when I should have died. And bring this all kind of back around. We've been talking about superstitions. Um, what 
you are able to articulate now is um, the positive side of exactly what uh, superstition causes problems with. We look back over our lives and we recognize God has been in control. Not a Ouija board, not a line on our palm, not the stars, not a horoscope, not a black cat, not a ladder, none of these things. God has been in control. And so as we look back at all that God has done in our lives, as you point out, different times that you should have died or that, you know, if we just think about driving, we are, you know, hurtling along at death-inducing speeds, uh, mere feet from other vehicles coming up this direction that also death-inducing speeds, and usually everything is fine. Why is that? Because God, in his grace and blessing, is guiding and protecting us every instant of every day. If God were to withdraw his sustaining hand from us, what catastrophes would take place instantly? Uh, but God keeps that preserving, loving hand over us. And as you're pointing out, looking back in your life, God is the one who guided the various situations and protected you and preserved you to be here today. And instead of looking at horoscopes or astronomy or astrology or any of these other things, as we look back and see what God has done, we also expectantly look to the future and see that as God has been good, God will continue to be good. And as we credit our preservation only to God's grace, we look to God's grace alone in the future as to be what will guide as well. And so superstitions that would draw us away from that trust in God in the future need to be avoided. All of these silly things, whether it's astrology or a black cat or no matter what it is, uh, those need to be avoided because they take our focus off of God who is truly good and who alone holds the future in our hands. And we know that if he holds the future in our hands, based on what he's done for us in Christ, he will hold a future for us in his hands that is blessed and good and leads to uh, joining with him before his throne to sing praises to him forevermore. Well, we can look at superstition, and uh, I think to an extent... I think we can uh, we can conclude that it's largely satanically de delivered, satanically driven. Uh, some of it may be harmless, but you know, it, as you pointed out, it's uh, it's an irrational belief that 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 maybe weakens, if you will, the uh, the faith of the truth. Does it draw us away from fa focusing our unswerving gaze and trust on the one true God? then it's problematic. And as you say, uh, Satan wants nothing more and nothing other than to draw our gaze away from Christ and all that God has done for us. Whether you know a black cat walking in front of us is just silly or not, if Satan can use that to drive a wedge between us and our trust in God, then Satan will use that to that purpose. Um, that doesn't make the black cat in itself evil, but Satan can certainly twist and use that to his advantage, our disadvantage, and instead simply focus 
on what Jesus has done for us in his death and his resurrection and recognize that as Jesus is physically risen from the dead, God will raise us physically from the dead. He is the one who holds our future and let nothing take our eyes off of Jesus. Well, Pastor Clayton, we're about out of time here, but boy, you've certainly given me a lot of food for thought here. And we always have to remember, you know, that Jesus is always there. God is always there with us. The Holy Spirit inspires us. And you know, what we see and what we hear, well, hopefully it's by God. But remember that there is an enemy out there who would, who would separate us from God. That's right. And we focus on Jesus and avoid that temptation. Pastor Clayton, thank you so much for being on Let's Talk. The pastor is in, and we'll definitely do it again sometime. You've been listening to The Pastor is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The Pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.